Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to episode 77. Episode 77. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, what's up, buddy? Man, just a good week here in the great state of Texas, Josh. Not much, buddy. Uh, nice, easy week. Didn't have to travel all over the world, so that was good. Yeah, you know, it seems like every time I turn on the news, I see stuff going on with that hurricane uh, up in North Carolina, South Carolina area. hitting. I think it made landfall this morning, so hope uh, hope all those folks are okay. Any listeners from, from the area, stay safe, man. Yep, and we've got a couple... Big announcements, Josh, though, to get to. First off, we have our winner for the month of August, I guess it is. So last month's winner, Garrett, or I think it was Garrett, you, sir, are, or ma'am, I guess, uh, you, whoever you are, you are out by the rules. Um, you have one month to claim your prize. But this month's winner is Mountain Ofa. Is that how you say that, Josh? Mountain Ofa? M-O-U-N-T-A-I-N-O-F-A. Mountain Ofa? I don't know. I can't speak English barely. Um, you have won the prize, the $50 Visa gift card for the month of August. Now, so congratulations to you. Um, with it being said, we have some, we were excited. We just found this out last night. Last night, I got on iTunes, and our show was ranked uh, 71 in the business news category. 71. Now, to put that in perspective, you know, you've got Bloomberg and Financial Times and all kinds of business news shows that are in there. So the fact that ours was at 71 was a really big accomplishment and really just want to say thank you to the listeners. And that's why we talk about ratings and reviews. Um, that's why they're so important to help get the show out there. So people who are in the oil and gas business that don't know our listeners or don't know Josh or myself, um, you know, when they're scrolling through iTunes, they, the higher our show ranks, the more likely they are to find our show. So... We are going to continue to do this. But, Josh, this time we're not going to give away a $50 gift card. We're going to give away some Rodney Strong wine. Um, I don't know exactly how we're going to work it out. There will be a little bit different restrictions on this one. So you're going to have to be either in Texas or Oklahoma or New Mexico or, you know, willing to meet me somewhere, you know, within that range uh, when I'm out and about um, just because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a basket of wine. I don't know exactly what all Rodney Strong is providing but it's going to be a basket of wine. They're going to hook us up with that. Uh, I think for November, uh, sorry, sorry, for October, November, December, and there also might be, and I don't want to promise this, but there also might be a um, a free tour visit of their winery out in Sonoma, California. So you'd have to get yourself out there, but if you're out in that area, they're going to hook you up with a free tour of their winery in Sonoma, California. So we're working on all the details, but... Thank you for the ratings and reviews so far. If you could continue to do that, it really helps spread the word of the show. It helps bring on new listeners. Um, and let's just be honest, Josh. It's really cool to see oil and gas ranking that high in iTunes. Because we know the folks over at Apple hate us. You know the 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 uh, most of the media doesn't like it. So the fact that we're kind of sticking it to the man, which we like to do on the show here a little bit, I thought was really cool. And again, uh, to Mountain Ofa, Mountain, Mountain Ofa, or however you say that, um, you can send us a text or a voicemail, 318-599-9192. And that goes to anyone who might have a question, 
9192. I'll say that again. 318-599-9192. Text voicemail to stage for the Text Long Guest Podcast uh, and let us know. Claim your prize. Um, or if you have a question or a comment, whatever, that's the way to get in touch with Josh and myself for the show. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Brian, uh, we've been following the Port of Corpus Christi for many months, several, several months. We've been on the, the Port of Corpus Christi and some of the developments that's been going on. There's been a lot of red tape, uh, a lot of red tape with the, the rules and regulations and government interference with basically stalling on, uh, on getting this port, uh, to completion so that we can, you know, maybe lessen the, the, uh, the constraints we have due to some of the pipe pipeline restraints. So we uh, we had Sean Strawbridge on at one point, and we had Sergio come on. And you know the the funding for the port has been approved, but there is a litigation process that apparently takes years uh, before they even begin the work on the port. So uh, we got an article that came out this week, Ryan. Uh, the title of the article is "Port of Corpus Christi Cl- Clashing with Private Crude Oil Export." terminal now this term this this uh sorry uh this this private crude oil uh terminal is going to be ahead of uh, a company called trafigura a swiss company and they're planning to come in and 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 work on a separate port that's gonna possibly make a dent in what the port was planning to do uh i mean what are your thoughts on this ryan i'm looking at it you know I, i have mixed emotions on it but uh you know i i it seems to me that this Swiss company Trafigura is coming in and and bypassing some of this red tape of the government and and getting something done so that we can start getting some exports. Yeah, so I think there's a couple things here, Josh. First off, I don't know who else in the world has been as big of advocates as, as we have. I'm sure folks like David, I know David Blackman has and and other people, but we have been huge advocates of getting the funding approved and the red tape removed for this port. We've talked about it on this show repeatedly over and over again. And we talk often about government regulation and why we're opposed to it. And now you're seeing, at the end of the day, um, what we're talking about is here. Here is a private company. Uh, if you haven't heard, yeah, Trafigura. I, I don't. I never heard their name pronounced, but I'm very familiar with what they do. They're a huge company, deep pockets, and um, their revenue, I think, is like you know 120 to 140 billion. So this is a this is a legit deal. Um, now they're coming in and saying, hey, guess what? We're going to privately fund this. And we kind of toss that idea out there. Now, we're not sure. I know Josh and I aren't exactly sure the logistics of if the port can get private funding, if they can't get private funding. Um, it seems to be that they can't, the best we can understand. Um, we haven't had that question answered directly. Um, so with that being said, first off, I think this is spectacular. At the end of the day, our Permian producers are trying to get their oil to market, and they have to get it to market. And if the government's not going to get it done then someone's got to get it done and let a private company do it. Now, that doesn't mean I'm against the Port of Corpus Christi or I want them to shut down or any of that stuff. It's just that this might be the thing that either, A, gets the funding approved for the Port of Corpus Christi finally and gets that whatever red tape removed, uh, or, B, it doesn't, and this private company does it, uh, does their um, their own port, and then all of a sudden you can see it's good for U.S. permanent producers. So I think it's good either way. Um, but the only concern here, Josh, is because of, again, this is what it appears to me. If you have better insight on this, please, we'd love to have you on to talk about this. But it appears that the port is dependent for the most part on government funding, 
which means that they have to kind of come out and attack these these guys over at Trafigura. And I don't know these guys from Adam, the, the Trafigura guys, I have no idea. Um, but they kind of, kind of attack them. And, and, and for me, that's kind of a, a hard spot to back the port because I, I'm, I'm pro-U.S. energy policy. And if this port helps us, then my allegiance is to that ideal, the free market ideal, more than it is to um, uh, this port, that port, whatever. I want them all to succeed. I'm not against any of it, um, but I'm for the market being able to work. And if government red tape kills or hampers, it's not going to kill the port of Corpus Christi, obviously, but if it hampers the port of Corpus Christi, then we should all step back and we should all realize this is why government bureaucracy is a scam, it's a fraud, it's a joke, and it doesn't do, it rarely does the thing that it's supposed to do. And in this case, it can actually hurt some uh, um, the folks at the Port of Corpus Christi who do good work, that do important work. And it looks like that, um, depending on how it shakes out, you know, government bureaucracy could, could really hamper their business. And um, that's tragic for them, and it's bad for them. We're pro Port of Corpus Christi on the show, but it's good for the U.S. permian producers who want to get their oil to market. Well, Ryan, you know, there's a couple of thoughts I have. You know, one is I am, I would be very excited if we could compare notes uh, on the Port of Corpus Christi and the money and the budget they use and the processes compared to, assuming this gets approved, to Trafigura. Uh, if you want to see government ways, I can almost guarantee that Trafigura will run a tighter ship because they're spending their own money than, and they would they would be able to bring out a product uh, in terms of a port that would be comparable but cost a lot less and get done a lot faster. That's the issue that, that really bugs uh, me, Ryan, is, is looking at uh, the government when they get involved. The money expenditure goes up. The time to get it done gets extended. And then the quality of what's produced goes down. That's the thing that bothers me because the people that are there are not spending their own money. They're spending they're spending taxpayer money and, and – um, it's just it draws it out a lot. And Ryan, you mentioned they were trying to smear Trafigura. Um, there, there's a uh, there's a 2006. They they were convicted a criminal conviction for selling uh, Iraqi oil back in 1991 after the first Gulf War. There, so there, there was restrictions put on this oil. Trafigura sold it anyway, and there was a conviction that came out. Now, honestly, Ryan, I think that's a bit of a stretch to try to use it as a reason not to let them do the port honestly i think that's 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 going pretty far uh but that is there and that's something that's been brought up by strawbridge and other people of the port okay uh, yeah let me comment on that real quickly because that's a so when you hear that for a a listener you might go oh my goodness gracious they were selling iraqi oil first off full disclosure i have not read that case i don't know what's going on with that case so i'm not commenting on that case in general but let me tell you what goes on, and Ellen and I on the Energy Week podcast talk about this stuff regularly at the international level. Um, when you talk about buying and selling oil, you will have, um, a few months ago, we were talking, and I may get the countries and people wrong, but I think it was the, I think it was Turkey and the Kurds in Iraq, um, I can't remember, who are enemies, okay? And what they would do, Josh, is they would send out an empty tanker and a full tanker, and they would turn their transponders off uh, when they got to wherever they were going, and they would tra- they would sell the oil or transfer the oil from one ship to another, and then turn the transponders on. Now, of course, the people who track this stuff can tell what they're doing, but but the fact that 
when you talk about oil and how it works at the international market, one of the most frustrating things for me, and I think that we have to, as, as the people, understand that what our governments do when you talk about buying and selling energy-related products like gas, oil, whatever, um, is often different than what they claim to the local level. So if you look at OPEC, you look at um, you know the Sa- uh, Saudi Arabia, you look at Iran, you look at Iraq. They're all right there. And if you look at their policy against uh, toward each other, okay, so their their public policy toward each other, um, whether it be over um, you know trade or, or whatever, or you know are they allies or enemies, you know you, they have that policy, but they're all members of OPEC, and these are nations who don't you know you have Iraqi you have you have Iran right now who is sending in um, military forces into Iraq. But maybe you sending missiles in there. There's some discussion over are they sending missiles in there. These are both OPEC member nations, and yet there's Iran sending in stuff to Iraq. So I'm not saying that what they did was right or wrong. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just simply saying that that charge at face value to me rings a little hollow because if you look at international oil and gas business, there's a lot of dirty stuff that goes on, and again, that gets back to this whole government thing. This is orchestrated by governments. So, Trey Figueroa sold the Iraqi oil. Well, who bought that oil? That would be my question. Who'd they sell it to? Because if they sold the oil, someone bought it, right? I mean, you can't sell a product that no one's buying. So, if they, if they were selling the oil, who bought it? Are we taking those people's oil into our country now? And the, the answer is probably, yeah, we probably are. Um, and so that's the thing. When you look at these geopolitical things, it's extremely frustrating because governments, our government, everyone else's government will come out and they'll say this, 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 and this, and then they'll go and they'll buy oil from that country or sell oil to that country. Um, and at the end of the day, it's you, you have people like our listeners, like uh, Josh or myself, who are normal folks, who are our brothers and sisters and children um, and friends and family are the ones that go out there and fight the wars, but the world leaders act completely different. So I don't get caught up in that, mainly because once you study this stuff at any real level um, internationally, you find out that there's all kinds of shady stuff that goes on. And for the most part, people really don't care until it's some kind of um, like this deal. Yeah, they slap this thing on them for the, the trend figure deal. In 2006, what was going on in 2006, Josh? Was wasn't the U.S. involved in a... War in Iraq. Another war. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't yeah. even. I, so that might be part of why this whole thing was charged, was trumped up and charged. I don't know, but I would just say to listeners, I would that would be the um, would not register as a high reason for me to uh, to be concerned. But I, there's, I don't know. I'll talk to Ellen about it, get her take on it, but because um, she follows that stuff a lot closer than I do. But at face value, you know, it rings really hollow, especially. And I'll just final thing on this, Josh. Especially right now, just go look at what India is saying, what the EU is saying about Trump's sanctions on Iran, what they're saying, what's being done, China, what they're talking about doing. Uh, just follow that conversation on what they're actually saying. Follow how it shakes out. Follow what happens, and then you'll come back and you go, okay. There's just so much bull that's out there. It's you know, it's it's really sickening. I agree. I agree. Well, Ryan, I'm going to give uh, just a couple of numbers here before we move on to the next article. Uh, it's a 12.7 mile, uh, 12.7 miles off the Padre Island. It's supposed to be able to load oil tankers at a rate of 60,000 barrels an hour, 1.4 million barrels a day. And it is uh, what the, the port is saying is that it could take about uh, 12 percent of its operating revenue a year if if they're successful in 
getting it, getting this port built. Um, so that those are some of the numbers. And, and uh, one of the things that Trafigure is pushing back on is they're saying that U.S. exports are supposed to more than double uh, to 4.8 million barrels a day by 2022. And that's going to be enough to where the port won't be able to handle all that anyway. So they're saying that within a few years, both these ports will be able to operate at capacity and, and not be not be uh, cutting into each other's profits. So those are some of the conversations going on. And uh, we'll definitely want to keep track to see if this port gets approved because it'll definitely bring some relief to the Permian. Yep. Final thing, Josh. Two, two, two quick things I thought there. One, I'm curious that the oil at the port has allowed oil that's been bought and sold by Trafigura to come through it since 2006. That hmm. would be, I think, that would be a fair question to ask uh, Sean Strawbridge. Two, with that being said, I don't think I, my position hasn't changed, and I don't think yours has. Don't hear this as an anti-Port of Corpus Christi. We want them to get the funding. This is the Absolutely. this is this is has something to do with the stuff that's outside of their control, and this is why it's so infuriating. Um, and so, at the end of the day, I'm still a free markets guy, and so I look back, look at it, and say, well, if they can get it done, I mean, I can't. I'm not going to change my principle because um, because I'm I'm only pro, pro Port of Corpus Christi. So, want the, we want the folks, Sean Strawbridge, them. They're always welcome to the show. We will always support them. We will always, you know, rail on the government for not doing the right thing. They have our support, a hundred percent. We also look at it and say, at the end of the day, the work's got to get done. So someone's got to do it. And if, if these guys can do it, uh, more power to them. And uh, I think that's a win for everyone. Well, the next thing, next article we have, Ryan, uh, this is from U.S. News. The title of the article is Rule Change Salt in One of U.S.'s Oldest Producing Gas Basins. Uh, so, and uh, a Houston-based oil company wants New Mexico regulators to ease restrictions on well location in two counties, and one of those, uh, you know, one of the oldest basins. Uh, the request involving San Juan and Rio Arriba counties comes in as oil and gas boom has helped to refuel state coffers. So what they're wanting to do is change some of the rules so that they can, I guess, operate with a bit more flexibility in the area and. Uh, uh, you know, we, we see things come out like this, but again, this is uh, one of those things where you have red tape that's preventing companies from doing what they, you know, what they want to do. Yeah, this is an interesting article and a, and a good one you pulled here. Um, essentially, what they're wanting to do is that if they update the rules, they could go from four wells to eight wells on 320 acres of land, and that would prevent waste and boost and boost the capture of natural gas. So. Um, they're actually they're wanting to drill more wells within a certain area, and Hillcorp seems to be the company that's leading the charge on this over in New Mexico. Um, you know, and so I'm I'm kind of torn on this, Josh. So first off, um, I don't know the uh, the article wasn't intended for this, but the article doesn't really break down a lot of the the production numbers and what's going on there, and the production cost. So is this a deal where Hill Corp is, I mean, they're saying update the rules. Obviously, they think the rules are outdated kind of for a previous era. Um, but is this a deal where Hill Corp is looking at it saying, you know what, um, um, we, we just won't, we just need more, we need more cash flow, and the best way to get more cash flow is to update these rules. We can drill more wells, and it's good for us. Uh, we can get more money quicker would be a better way to say it. Whether you know, So we have four wells, it just takes longer to get the money. If we have eight wells, we can get it faster. That might be as simple as it is. I, I'm kind of torn, though, because we talk about this issue with um, with water, and we talk about all these all these various problems that we see that, that, that people are always 
talk on the industry. And the, envir- the environmentalists are coming in saying, hey, guess what? You guys are um, you're kind of going to the extreme. And, I, and I, I'm not sure. I don't think that there's, just from a standpoint of putting more well pads on the ground, I don't really see that as an issue. Um, but the, the water issue that we talked about in the Texas side of the Permian Basin, that does give me a little bit of concern. So, and I don't know, we haven't talked about New Mexico much with water. So that would be my concern is that if you're doubling the amount of wells that you're going to drill inside of the acreage, um, how does that work with the water issue that we've talked about? So from a Hillcorp standpoint, you know, I guess, hey, they're going, you know what, we need to, um, you know, we want more wells, you know, get we capture more natural gas, we make more money. I'm not against that. Um, the water would be the only thing. And, and I guess the final thing I would say is, is that, when you talk about there, there there's a, a landowner in here that, that kind of mentioned that, well, this used to be a, a very vast area where you could hunt deer and stuff like that, and now it's kind of more industrial. And I'm sympathetic to that, Josh, but also, you know, people sold their minerals. They, you know, they sold their, their land rights to uh, the surface rights, rather, to um, allow this stuff. So this is part of that process. You know, when you start selling these things, you get the check, and in return, you know, this, this stuff's going to be developed. Final thing is, um, I don't know where exactly the answer for this lies, but I think that no matter what we talk about, me and you try to always remind the listeners that we have to do this drilling, um, for the, for the sake of not, not energy security, like to keep off, you know, the Saudi oil or whatever, just from a global standpoint of the demand of oil and gas that's needed right now. Um, we have to do this. We, we need to figure out a way. Um, it's an interesting article. I'm curious your thoughts because it's like, I don't want to say, yeah, this is just because oil and gas says they want it, the county, the, the local regulator should, should give it to them. Um, but I also don't want heavy government regulation to um, stifle growth. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, looking at it, um, one of my thoughts was I wonder if, if you drill eight wells instead of four, does it have, uh, does it have an effect on, uh, you know, I, I'm not an environmentalist guy, so I don't know a lot about how that affects the areas or if um, long term effects of the area. Or like you mentioned, the water. I mean, if you had to double the amount of water coming to those two counties, how would it affect the counties? Right. Uh, sources would they be pulling from? So there's all these questions. I think uh, uh, the the important thing is for there to be a it's having a government body that's that's governing some of these things with some of their stipulations. I, I wish it was a little bit more of a free market. And I know. I mean, you've about this before and we don't have an answer for uh what that means in terms because if you go pure free market you also have some issues that are going to come up with the lack of regulation that um who's going to monitor illegal activity who's going to who's going to do that um and and so yeah i think it's definitely a great question i think that water the water issue you bring up is going to be one of the keys to consider because especially with the way things are going in the Permian and some of the, um, I mean, just Texas in general and the area is, is having a water shortage. Yeah. If, if, if they, if these two counties are to double it, then what's going to keep, you know, the other counties from wanting to double their, their numbers. Um, right. And I, I so I, I, you brought up something good there to, to point out. So first off, um, on the regulation, I think the regulations should start with the landowner. They should have the right to say what can and cannot go on my property. Okay, so that's where um, the landowner and the landowner, may, you know, in this case, might not care that you put eight wells instead of four. Um, but you also have to remember that one landowner can't over impact 
other landowners. So you talk about water, you know, one landowner may say, hey, I've got, you know, a thousand acres, come drill 500 holes in my land and suck up all the water we possibly can, which would impact more. So that's when you kind of get to like a, a county level or maybe a small regional level um, or, or a, a small local governing body like you're talking about, Josh, that can kind of oversee this and it kind of has a little bit more of a 30,000 foot view um, picture. And so, you know, they have a commission in New Mexico and so I'm sure they're going to look at all this. The other environmental concerns that you might be worried about that I don't think are that big of a deal, but I know environmentalists are concerned about them. Um, and so you need to talk about them is, um, you know, you might have, um, you know, first off, you're going to have to build roads. And so that means more truck traffic and stuff like that. Anytime you have these guys, these crews out there, you're going to have, you know, just humans. We do stuff, you know, maybe a little bit of litter or maybe there's a, um, a little bit of a gasoline that, spe- that, that, that spills out or diesel that spills out from a truck transfer or a little bit of oil gets on the ground. I don't know. You know, you're going to have stuff like that. Um, if you're flaring, you know, you have stuff like that. So that would be kind of some of the generic concerns. Long-term effect of those things is almost negligible. You know, as long as they're being monitored and it's normal human activity, nothing really to worry about there, I don't think. It would be the water would be kind of my first concern just because we talked about that so much. But I'm curious, listeners, 318-599-9192, tell us what you think. Is it a big deal to double the wells in in this 320-acre space in New Mexico? Um, or is it something that we should really step back and go, you know what, maybe we need to kind of uh, – I hate to say regulate because we just got real – we just got through real in our regulation. Um, is it something that we need to have more of a discussion about? And I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, 318-599-9192, text, voicemail. Uh, let's know your thoughts on this piece. Really curious to hear what the listeners, we have a lot of folks that are out there in the field and, uh, you know, want to hear what you guys have to say about something like this because, um, you know, a person on the rig, Josh, you know, they're out there every day, you know, working on the rigs. They're going to have a different perspective than someone like me or you would. So it's uh, it's always good yeah. to hear the different, or, you know, you have a drilling manager for uh, an oil and gas company looking at it, looking at the dollars and the cents of this thing. You know, they're going to have a different, different perspective. So we'd love to hear some in- outside input on that so text your voicemail 318-599-9192 well right you know last thing i wanted to mention something i hadn't thought much about you know is that if you have two two people that own you know large acreage that uh that butt up to to one another uh the oil that's under the ground is not a respecter of surveys you know they don't it 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 doesn't just because the the land the property stops at one spot the the oil sometimes is shared between two properties right um and, and I wonder if, if, like you mentioned, if there's certain regulations, if the, how do you regulate that? Because it's really complicated with, with what you can allow one person to do. Because he may, like you said, he may want to go put you know, 32 wells on, on acres and, and suck up everything and end up sucking half of the minerals from his neighbor's right. Uh, right. land. So there's certain regulation, but I don't, I don't even know how to, how to regulate that. Like you mentioned, maybe a county, county body that, that governs that or something along those lines. I mean, it's not really related to this, but it's, I think in some ways it, it kind of right. um, right. touches on the issue. No, I think that's a good point. Cause like, like you mentioned, you know, here in Texas, you got the railroad commission who has the setback rules and, and stuff like that, that tries to kind of monitor that, but it's a, it's a great point. And that's kind of what I was uh, using the silly analogy of 500, you know, wells drilled on a hundred acres of a uh, uh, hundred acres of land or a thousand acres of land or, or whatever I said, um, you know, so you have the setback rules, but you know, we all know that, you know, if you're set back on this property and they're set back on this property, you know, it's, there's not a hard line under the, um, you know, under the earth yeah. that's preventing, oh, this is Smith's property and this is Johnson's property, you know, so there's a little bit of give and take there. Um, 
But no, you do have that, and you do see that. But you know, something like this—that's going to be part of that discussion. Also, is you know, are are you invading those those setbacks, um, and are you going to take more of Smith's you know gas or oil, whatever the case would be, um, than you were before? So all those type of things are things they're going to discuss. But I, I think just again the water thing with the concerns what we don't want to do and the reason i keep beating that drum is we don't want to get to a spot to where you know the trump administration or the next administration looks at us and says you know what you guys are a bunch of criminals you stole all the water and now there's no drinking water even if that's not that even that's not true um there's enough discussion right now that that narrative could be painted and uh, put put oil and gas you know in a bad spot and then all of a sudden you have really tight drilling regulations well, last article for us, Ryan, before we get into the Texas Roundup, is an article from Oil & Gas Journal. It's, uh, this is about Permian producers hedging bets against pipeline delays. So these companies uh, have seen some price discounts um, that have come out as a result of the pipeline restrictions and constraints. And so they're wanting to start hedging bets based on uh, the projected uh, income that will be there once some of these pipelines or ports are finished. So uh, that that has increased 431% in this year's second quarter. Uh, so I, I don't know that we expected that, but it certainly makes sense that they're wanting to start hedging. Um, I mean, that's your thoughts? Yeah, so this kind of echoes those numbers we talked about last week, which we were really surprised at how much the excess is going to be. Um, I was stunned that the hedging is this high. I think, and this is just my 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 guess here. Um, my thoughts are is a couple things. One, right now, if you're a, a CEO of a, of a oil and gas company, um, you're not sure what the price is going to do over the next year or two. You do know that pipelines are going to come online. Um, you're not exactly sure. You know they have in-service dates, so you're you're hoping that they make the in-service dates. Um, but things could change. That they probably will. But here's here's what I would guess. Partly is partially is going on. What if the price drops, and then the pipeline gets built, and all of a sudden, well, the price has dropped. If you can hedge out now, you can protect yourself under the banner of, "Hey, we got this pipeline problem. You never know what's going to happen with that. Let's go ahead and hedge out." Then you're kind of you kind of double protected yourself. You protect it against the market um, from the, the the you know the geopolitical global standpoint, and you protected yourself from this pipeline capacity issue. So you kind of said, you know what? It's kind of crazy right now. We're just going to go ahead and hedge out. I would think that that's at least part of the thinking that's going on here. Um, and the other thing that I think is going on here is I've heard a lot of discussion about companies that are going to ramp up at the beginning of 2019. And so if they ramp up at 2019 and prices do stay high, I don't know if this spare capacity will actually be there. I, I don't. I, I'm curious to see uh, a year from now if we're talking about um, pipeline capacity being... You know, it's a long way to go. We said, what, like 2 million barrels. I don't know if, I can't imagine it getting that high that fast. Um, but I am curious if some of those companies are going, you know, um, a lot of companies are talking about 2019. They're going to ramp up drilling. Um, what if we get to a spot where there's a, there's a bottleneck or we can see a bottleneck by 2021? So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that right now companies are looking at it going, okay, we have, we have a good price now. Um, we have a shortage of... Uh, pipeline infrastructure um, we don't know what 2019 is going to hold for us so let's go ahead and hedge out to be safe i was just surprised at the sheer number it went up you know with 
431% increase. That is crazy. That's a lot of hedging. That's a lot of hedging, which means that they're trying to play it safe. Um, The final thing on that is, I'm curious to see, Josh, um, if the prices, so if the pipelines are getting built and the companies are going to ramp up, as we know with hedging, you're kind of resistant to the market. You can do whatever you want to for the most part. Um, I am curious to see if that means that production will increase much because... Um, if a lot of companies hedge, then they're less likely to, you know, just go crazy because they're not reacting to the market. So I, I don't know. It's kind of, I know I kind of, I'm kind of saying two different things there. It's, um, on one, on one hand, I'm saying, well, companies are kind of protecting themselves against companies ramping up. And then I'm saying, well, maybe companies won't ramp up. I don't know. It is fascinating. I do think the pipelines and I do think the uncertainty in the market, which is always there. Um, you know, I think that this is why you're seeing this. I was just surprised at that number. That's a, that's a large increase in final thing is if you remember Josh, a year ago, Today, basically, we were talking about how much the hedges were up for this year. So they're even up higher than that. Yeah, and that's something that, um, that I want to keep an eye on, Ryan. Is well, I think hedging uh, helps bring a little bit of stability, um, even if even if it's temporary. Uh, would, would you say that, Ryan? That, that and I'm not talking about from the company's perspective. I'm talking about from the market perspective. If more people hedge, does it bring more stability to the market? Uh, you know, for say, uh, you know, national, nationally. Well, uh, it's kind of a yes and no question. So, if every let's just say every oil and gas company in America hedged from the Balkan all the way down to the Eagleford, over to the Marcellus, um, and they hedged and they all come out and said that we're going to guarantee that we're going to produce, you know, this these types of volumes for our oil and for our gas. Okay, that wouldn't happen, but let's just pretend it did. Well, then, if you're in the midstream business, okay, you, you can understand what type of pipeline capacity that has to be built out to service that. Um, if you're in the export business, the refining business, you, you, you know, all those numbers are, are, are um, good and good and well. In, again, in this imaginary world, someone like OPEC would go, okay, we know the U.S. is locked in for this, um, and so therefore we're going to do this. Now, all of that being said, that would bring some stability to the market, no doubt. The problem is, what's the demand going to be? So, is the demand going to be two times what the U.S. has promised or what the world's promised? Is it going to be fifty um, percent what the world's going to uh, what fifty percent uh, co- uh, compared to what the world says it's going to do? So, OPEC hedge, everyone's hedge. It's a hedge. It's a hedge vest, and everyone keeps to the word. Um, the demand is still the unknown, and that's why you know when you look at this, um, if you're looking at 2019. You know, some people are very optimistic about the global economy. Some people aren't. Um, you know, I think we said on the show, aside from a uh, some kind of global setback, which, have, you know, you, you got to have some kind of correction in the market eventually. Um, once you get through that, the long-term prospect for oil is, is, is high and good. It's just a matter of when does that happen, and we don't. no one knows. Um, so in, in one sense it would, Josh, but the other sense would be is, you know, you know if China, you know, decreases its demand by – 50%, and India decreases its demand by 50%, well, the prices would plummet, um, and you'd have a ton of oil in storage because everyone was hedged out, right? Because they hedged out. They can guarantee they sold it at you know, $50 a barrel or $70 a barrel, whatever. The price might drop to 30 So then you go into kind of a long... Um, kind of a long supply glut. But that's not going to happen. I know what you're asking. It's a good, it's a good theoretical question to think of, uh, but at the end of the day, the, the demand still would be the unknown. Now, if you could promise mm. the demand, Josh, <laughs> if you could promise the demand, then, then we could actually you know, have an interesting conversation, but we can't promise the demand, unfortunately. And that's the hardest side to figure out. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I think uh, you know we've talked a little bit about uh, developing countries and things that uh, it, it seems and should increase. Just will politics come in and and prevent certain progresses to be made, or or, or you know, would so many companies have so much potential that would bring so much demand uh, for oil and gas if they were able to develop, you know, um, a bit more. Yep. And. Okay, so Ryan, we are we're about to enter. We I, I look for articles every week. Uh, any anything about jobs that are that are coming up or companies that are any mergers, acquisitions. Uh, people are making uh, repositioning people at, in uh, in job positions. Anything that I can find give uh, someone a little bit of information about what's going on in the market specifically uh, around the Permian Eagleford. Um, I try to get some good information in, and, and Ryan, I hope that people find it helpful to kind of have an idea of some of the deals that are projected to happen in the next few months. The uh, first one we have, Ryan, is the first one we have, Ryan, is One Oak to expand the Texas LPG pipeline system for two hundred and ninety-five million. Uh, so we have a, a Texas LPG pipeline from One Oak. Uh, the second one is Carlisle Group and Diamondback partner to develop Permian assets. There's Diamondback again, Ryan. I was excited. Uh, I love those guys, man. I don't know if they're gonna make it, but uh, they're certainly they're certainly giving it everything they have. Nasdaq, Fang, I love it. Yeah. Oil and gas assets in the in the prolific Permian Basin, Texas. Uh, they're putting in uh, the joint. Uh, I don't know who's how much each side's putting in, but six hundred and twenty million dollars to develop assets in the San Pedro area of Paco, Pecos County. Uh, third one, Ryan, Hawkwood Energy targets growth in East Texas, Eagleford. Uh, Hawkwood Energy, um, it's a Dallas-based company that is looking to make some moves in the Eagleford. So uh, if you, anyone's familiar with Hawkwood Energy, keep an eye on them. Um, they're probably going to be making some moves in the, in the Eagleford. So um, it says here this is a six-year-old equity-backed company. So they're they're not very new. They're they're I mean they're not very old. They're they're pretty new company, um, and so I expect them you know, they're either going to grow or or not. So there could be some opportunities coming up with them. And the last one, Ron. This one is uh, sometimes one to mention since we brought up the port. There was some news that came out this week that the port Corpus Christi appointed Omar Garcia as its chief external affairs officer. So I would imagine that they are trying to make some moves to uh, get some uh, people in leadership in the port to not only get this thing moving forward, but also interact with uh, different governing bodies and different international bodies. Because once they get this port done, they're going to need to have a lot of people, uh, you know, on the books committed to to bring in their, you know, their oil through through the port. All right, good stuff, good stuff, and uh, congratulations to Omar uh, down at the port. And again, the folks at the Port of Corpus Christi are always welcome on this show. Wish them nothing but the best. Questions, comments, 318-599-9192. Just be sure to say it is for the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. That's 318-599-9192. Next week, I'll be at the 20 Holes event in San Antonio, Texas. My man Sergio Chapa will be sitting in the hot seat. Uh... Josh, I can't blame this one on you. I cannot say you're taking off. I can't say you're not showing up. This was all my doing, so I cannot blame you as much as I would like to. Um, again, 
ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, thank you guys so much. Being 71 was a huge honor. We had no idea. We, I was just kind of telling Josh, I was fooling around last night, just curious if we even cracked iTunes tracks the top 200. So I was just curious if we cracked the top 200. And sure enough, lo and behold, we were number 71 as of um, last night on the 13th when, we were, when I was doing all that. Anyways, so... Um, Ratings and reviews, they really help the show out, help get new listeners. We're going to hook you up with some wine, some amazing wine, that is, from Rodney Strong. Don't know all the details, but once we have them, uh, I think we have a guy, the guy uh, from Rodney Strong coming on here in a few weeks. So we'll get all those details worked out, ironed out, and uh, let you know how the giveaways will work. But the ratings and reviews will definitely be a part of that process. So be sure to get them in, and uh, we really, really, really appreciate it. Anyways, Josh, anything else before we get out of here, buddy? Uh, Rick count this week, 1127 drilling info. We pull numbers are down 2%, down 2% this week, 1127. All right. All right. For Josh Shelton, it's Ryan Ray saying until next time, keep climbing.